I want to start out by showing you some photos. All right, here we go. Kind of crazy, less crazy when I show you the whole photo, which kind of shows some perspective here a little bit. All right, here's another one. Really tiny hot air balloon. All right. This one, I think, might be photoshopped. I was trying, I rotated this one all kinds of different ways to try to figure out. There's just like a trick of perspective here. And I just can't figure out how that guy lashes legs onto that. Looks so nonchalant about it, but here we go. Here's another one. Yeah, that sounds fun. Okay. This one looks scary. All right. Okay. I'm trying to show you the next one. <laughs> Here we go. Here's another one. Now, there's one more. Oh, there's one more before we get to Rick's favorite photo that he's ever showed me. Okay. So this is the last one. And this one is Rick's favorite photo right here. Can you guys tell what's going on? Rick, I, Rick was so excited. He brought his phone over to me one day. He's like, Josiah, you got to look at this photo. I was like, okay, it's like a bunch of horses or something like that. Donkeys or whatever. He's like, no, no, like, really, really, really look at it. I was like, okay, it's a bunch of horses or whatever. He's like, no, they're zebras, look. They are shadows. And these are zebras right here. Ah, yeah. Rick was very happy about this photo. <laughs> this is one that National Geographic took. Now, all of these photos, some of them looked a little crazy, some of them looked a little weird, and they're all a play on perspective, right? But what I did realize going through these photos is that if you're going to take a perspective photo in public, what you're going to end up actually doing is just looking really weird. I've rotated all the photos for you, and... These are the situations that people were actually in. This one's actually kind of impressive. He must have like jumped off of the ground and like grabbed the bar or something to take the photo. But I can imagine just like having your friend like, hey, take a photo of me. And you're just like sitting like this on a park bench. And you're like, oh, did he get it? Or like you're laying down in the middle of the road holding your mic like this. Or... Is that a lean? No, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> have you ever taken a perspective photo in a tunnel on your bike, Elaine? No? Okay. So it's not a lane. We have confirmed that it's not a lane. It is obvious, and probably I didn't have to show you a bunch of photos to make the point, that perspective changes how we see things, all right? It's a pretty simple concept. But I hope we had some fun looking at some photos together. And in these pictures, the viewing angles and the forced perspective changed your opinion on what was going on, right? But perspective goes way deeper than photos. And how we view the world 
our perspective on the road changes how we interact with it and what we do. And to close our sacred series this week, I want to talk about having a sacred perspective. And in this process, we're going to be looking at what God created, how it is sacred, some common things we may need to take some more seriously. And altogether, I want to help move our mindset towards a sacred mindset. So to start us off, I want to talk about two Greek words that are the exact opposite of sacred. All right. So the first one is anosios, and the second one is aseves. All right. Now, anosios is a compound word, uh, the prefix a, which means opposite or without or not, and hosios, which means reverence. All right. And this only appears a couple of times in Scripture. So this word means irreverent or unholy. All right. Now, Sebes appears a little bit more. It's more common in Scripture. Um, but it's the same story as Anosios. It's Seboamai, uh, which means to be respectful. This is kind of the opposite of that. They flip that on this head. And so, Sebes means to be disrespectful. But it's often trans- translated ungodly because it, it's more specific than just common disrespect. It is a disrespect of holy things, right? Disrespect of godly things. So this is not the same word we would say, you know, when Benjamin acts up and he's disrespecting his parents, right? Not the same word. This is, of course, he never does that. I've never seen him do that. This is a a much more, uh, it's a deeper meaning, saying like you take the things that God sees as valuable and you treat them like they're not, all right? And so these two words, I want to bring them up because they are the default setting for people. Congratulations. You were once in this group before Christ. All right. And as Paul so uh, tactfully says in Romans 5, 6, while we were still helpless, helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's the the same here. Right? And so now knowing what this word means, we can maybe say, while we are still helpless at the right time, Christ died for those who failed to honor what is sacred. To fail to see the things of God the way that they truly are. So while we were still sinners, while we were helpless, while we took the things that God made to be special and unique and treaded them underfoot, while we were sinners... Christ died for us. So before God's intervention through his son, Jesus, this is the state of man. It is irreverent. It is disrespectful. It is ungodly. It is unholy. Now, the difference, the opposite of that, well, I guess before we get into the opposite of that, I do want to give you one more example here from 2 Timothy because Paul does really kind of bring it home here. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. 
All right, so Paul just makes it very clear. <laughs> the depravity of man here. And so the opposite of what Paul is saying here is being like-minded with God. So if, if unholy and un, ungodly is to treat the things of God as if they aren't important, the opposite of that would be to come into lockstep with God and become of the same mind and share the same perspective, what I would be calling a sacred perspective today. So how do we get this sacred perspective? Well, luckily, I'm glad you asked that question because we have an answer to that in sacred scriptures, 2 Peter 2, or 2 Peter 1, 2 through 8. If you would go ahead and turn there with me. In this passage, we are going to be seeing how God transforms the ungodly and unholy perspective that leads to ultimately a growth in a sacred perspective and to coming into the same mind as he has. All right, we're going to start in verse 2 here. Go through verse 8. Grace and peace be multiplied multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Seeing that his divine power has granted us granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supplying moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance Godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Great for Valentine's Day. Just a great verse here. For in these qualities and yours, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so the source... What we just read was essentially that the source of this sacred perspective that we're seeking, the source of godliness, in other words, is God himself. Now, that may seem self-evident. That may seem obvious, right? But not everyone makes the connection between knowing God and learning about him and having our hearts and minds transformed. You see, a lot of people stop at just agreeing that there is a God. A lot of people just stop at saying, yes, I think there is a God, and maybe these are the kinds of things that he would do or say. But without going deeper into that, without going deeper into understanding of who God is, we don't get the godly perspective, right? We're not transformed. We're not changed by the knowledge of him. And as Peter says, it is through God's divine power, his power, that the knowledge of God and Jesus in our lives is multiplied, right? So it's through our knowledge of Scripture that God reveals his promises to us. It is through his knowledge, through the, his knowledge of him, that we escape, as Peter says, the corruption of this world. And we become partakers in this divine nature. We become 
like-minded with God. And then this process starts a cascade of positive, godly things that ultimately leads to our fruitfulness, right? So if you ever are around and saying, man, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. I feel like I'm unproductive in my faith. Well, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. Right? You can keep growing. You can be useful to God. It is through our knowledge of Scripture that God gives us what we need to be fruitful and to become like him, to know what is holy and sacred. Just knowing this fact alone, knowing that God is the source of holiness, changes how we live our lives and changes who we are. If you just practice that, you will be changed. So from here, I want to switch gears a little bit. And I want to take a little survey of Scripture, and I want to lay the foundations for what I see as a sacred perspective. Now, by no means am I going to be successful in covering everything that God thinks is holy and sacred. All right? So this is not a complete list of everything. But it is some of the things that stood out to me. I was foundational in what it means to have a sacred perspective. So we're going to start at the broadest level, and then we're going to work our way in to more and more personal individual level. So the first level is the sacredness of creation. Think about it. Everything you know, God created. Now, this is not a mindset of most of the people in the world. Most people don't look out there, right, at the beautiful Norway spruce and the snow on the ground, and they don't see God's handiwork, right? And Scripture tells us that creation is unique. That that's the entire first chapter of Genesis, is God bringing into existence things that had never existed, all right? It's just kind of incredible when you think about it. It is a completely sacred and holy experience that we read in Genesis where God is bringing into existence the universe. And in Genesis 1, 29 through 30, it talks about how God has created this world to sustain life. And how he has put into every living creature the breath of life. All right? Now that is the same force that keeps you and me alive, even right now. So God has placed the same life-giving force to the animals. And he has created a way to sustain life on this planet. And as Paul says in Acts 17, For in him we live and move and exist. Okay? So God made us stewards over this earth, over creation. We're meant to take care of it and cultivate it and make it fruitful because the things he made are special. They're unique. They're sacred. And I think this is the foundation of the sacred perspective, is to change that from how the world thinks of this thing as just an accident to as this is the world that God has created for us to take care of. And then the next level, the next step beyond that is that the sacredness of people, the sacredness of mankind above the rest of creation. We just talked about how the animals have their breath of life. God created us with that same breath of life, but he made us a little bit different. 
All right? And we did a whole series back in October about created. You guys may remember that. Here's a good plug for North Camp Bible Church sermons and our website. You can go back and listen to all of that. And in the first uh, sermon of that series, we looked at how we were created in God's image. All right? Genesis chapter 1 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish and of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And in Genesis 9, it says that murder is wrong not because of anything else other than that you're killing someone who's made in God's image. So not only does creation have innate value, but even to a greater extent, people have innate value. Which means that they are deserving of honor and respect based on the simple notion that they are created in God's image. So in a sense, we can say that people are sacred. So this has a major impact on how we look at other people, our relationships with other people. So part of sacred perspective, a sacred perspective, is realizing that people are created in the likeness of God. The next level, as we go down, is the sacredness of Christian relationships. All right, Christian, Christian relationships was too long to fit nicely in my little green circle here, so I just said Christians, okay? I really wanted it to fit, but it couldn't fit. So in general, most of what this boils down to is how God talks about the church, how he talks about his family, how he talks about body, the body of Christ. So we talked a lot about that in the first message of the sacred series where we're talking about the sacred church. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it now, but if you can just wait a few minutes, I know you're very anxious to get done with the sermon, but... If you can just wait a few minutes, we're going to do a series recap where we'll cover that idea again in just a little skimming detail. But there is one part of a Christian relationship, at least, that we haven't talked about that I wanted to cover, which is marriage. All right, so I'm not going to raise marriage up on this holiness pedestal and set it next to God. Right? Oftentimes, I think Christians communicate that the ultimate experience of Christianity is to be in a Christian marriage. All right? But the actual end goal of Christianity is to be in a relationship with God and His Son, Jesus. Okay? But for those who do decide to enter into marriage, the Bible is very clear that it is a sacred bond between them and God. All right? We call it holy matrimony for a reason. And so here are a couple of verses that talk about the sacredness of marriage. We have Matthew 19, 4 through 6 where uh, Jesus says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. All right, so Jesus is saying this is extremely important to God. It is to be protected and honored and holy, right? And then Hebrews 13.4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God would judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. 
So Jesus thought that marriage was a God-ordained bond between people. It was supposed to be holy and protected. And the author of Hebrews shows that marriage is also to be honored and protected. So how does this compare to the current worldview on marriage, right? Marriage, in general, in our society, can be looked at a few different ways, I think. It can be looked at as a tax break, if you want. It can be something fun to do when you really feel like you love someone. It can be spur of the moment, spontaneous. It can be to fulfill some kind of innate dream that has been placed on you by society, right? But commitment, the commitment of marriage is so much more than any of those things. It is a sacrifice compared to Jesus and the church, right? It is a deep commitment. But the most sacred and holy thing of all, the greatest connection of all connections that we can have is with God and his son, Jesus. And that is the innermost thing that we need to protect, the most sacred thing in our lives. Ephesians 2.18 says that, for through him, meaning Jesus, we have both our access and one spirit to the Father. Right? How often do you think about the creator of the universe being in connection with you through Jesus? Like, how often does that thought pass through your mind? Do we take it seriously that the creator of the universe, God, is with us on a personal level? God and Jesus are alive, and they are working through the Holy Spirit and are connected to us. And that is sacred. That is holy. That needs to be honored and protected and respected. So how many of us are aware that every moment of every day, we are having a sacred connection with God and Jesus? That is a part of a sacred perspective because it has a big influence on what we choose to do with our time, how we choose to talk, what we choose to do in general. So to wrap things up, let's go over what we talked about in the series and just kind of refresh your mind so that you're walking away here feeling very good about your understanding of sacredness. All right. So as we saw in the first week, the church is sacred. The church is a collection of God's people, right? It's not a building. And the collection of God's people, as we saw, was God's living temple. We saw the physical temple in the Old Testament was this uh, place where God decided to dwell and reside and, and be with us. Now, taking that into the new covenant, he is with us here. We are his temple. The church is a place where worship and praise and spiritual sacrifices are to be performed, right? And so to be a part of the church is to be a living stone in this living temple, which is always growing, which means church isn't something you attend. It is something you live in, right? It is something of who you are. And then we also saw that tearing down others in the church is equivalent to tearing down temple of God. Then on the other side of that, building up people in the church is equivalent to building up the temple of God. We also saw that scripture is sacred. 
We saw that if you want to draw near, if you want to get close to him, get within breathing distance. Scripture is God-breathed. That is how you get intimate with God. That is how you learn what he wants from you. Scripture is a teacher. It is a guide. And through these words, we get to salvation through faith in Jesus. And these are not some commonplace book, although it is the most printed book in the world ever in history. It is not a commonplace book that we just go to when we need it, but it is the spiritual nourishment that sustains us. Last week, we looked at how communion is sacred. We went all the way back to the Passover, and we worked our way through Jesus' first communion, all the way to modern day, to see that communion is a memorial for us. It is set up by Christ to remind us of what he did and who he was. It is a reminder of the current commitments we've made to him, that we are dying with him, we're proclaiming his death every time we take it. And we saw that it's also a future reminder, a future reminder of the promises that Jesus is going to return, right? And today we looked at what it means to have a sacred perspective. So I think it is natural to the world to see things as either useless or uninteresting or commonplace. I think it's natural for the world to take advantage of things for their own gain. Right? To see themselves as better than others. To treat relationships as a means to self-gratification. But as Christians, we know that everything is uniquely made by God. And because of that simple fact, we have to look at it differently. And when we are interacting with people in the world around us, we need to be seeing them as how God sees them, created in his image. Especially when it comes to the church and Christian relationships. These things are holy and need to be given honor that they, de- that they deserve. And most of all, we need to see that our relationship with God and his son is the most valuable thing that we have. The most valuable thing that we have is our relationship with God and his son. So I believe that as we start to reconsider or consider what it means for things to be holy and sacred, we will become closer to the heart of God. Because that's how God sees things. After all, God is the most holy thing that exists. And whatever he does is sacred. What God has given us is priceless. And I just ask that we treat it that way. Please pray with me. God, I thank you for this opportunity over the last few weeks to look into your heart and mind to see what things you have called holy and how you treat them. Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you for salvation through you and the connection that you give us to God. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.